What's up, guys? Thank you for watching the Life Like a Movie podcast. I'm so pumped you're here. I really am. I think there's so much value that is getting shared, and I'm glad you guys are here with me to experience it. We have a very special guest today, and I know I say that every single time, but I mean it. We do have an amazing guest coming on today, Sarah, and she works for Head Heart Therapy. And this is important for me because she deals with a lot of healing with trauma, and addiction is her specialty, and mainly just a lot of mental illness stuff. And I definitely had my fair share of that, and I'm sure you or someone you know has. And so that's why I think this is so, so important. Now, what she talks about, we just finished recording it actually, she is all about softening the blocks that we have, these psychological blocks, not removing it. And I think that's fair and a very interesting distinction she made. So she gives so much value in this episode. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. I think you guys are really going to love this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not wearing, uh, I'm wearing sweatpants, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I th- that's so funny. <laughs> no, yeah. I wear sweatpants for a lot of these interviews too. I find it so funny. Right. I find, yeah. I love it. Um, Okay. All right. Let's um. Let's get right into it because I'd love to be respectful of your time and, and get the most out of this conversation. So, uh, if you could start with uh, what's the mission statement of Head Heart Therapy? Right. I had to look at my website to tell you what that <laughs> is. So let me <laughs> let me go back there and read it. And actually, once I read it, I was like, oh, I kind of want to change this. So. What our mission statement is right now is Head Heart Therapy is a group therapy practice specializing in the treatment of adults and adolescents struggling with shame, addiction, mood anxiety disorders, and many other difficulties in life. We aim to increase our clients' capacity for self-compassion, empowerment, and efficacy by helping diminish unnecessary suffering. We use an eclectic variety of methods to address the unique needs of each person who seeks our support, whether they stem from psychological, emotional, or spiritual dis-ease. Head Heart Therapy provides a foundation of serenity, understanding, and balance. Our therapists offer a unique set of skills to provide integrative, holistic care in a healing environment. And nice. scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's an. Ind- I thought mission statements were like one or two sentences. I didn't know that they they went that long. That's super cool. I don't um, know. Maybe I'm not doing it right. There's that I, too. Well, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, I was in business school for about a year and a half. So you're, you're asking the wrong guy uh, about corporate websites and everything. Um, anyways, um, that, that's super cool. Well, thank you again for taking the time. So I'd like to start off with talking about a lot of the common blocks that we have. I read in your mission statement, or I heard, excuse me, just now in your mission statement, the words unnecessary suffering. And one of the goals of this podcast specifically is to eliminate unnecessary suffering. That's like, the, yeah, that's like the one of two goals of this podcast. Because I think when we eliminate these blocks of these unne- of, of suffering unnecessarily, then we reveal who we truly are. And we get to feel this amazing mm-hmm. feeling of coherence and our true self and all that good stuff. So what are some examples of some common blocks that stop us from living our authentic self, just to start off? Well, before I say what the blocks are, I just want to okay. clarify about authentic self because... Yes, so I, I I really like to try to move away from definitive language in terms of, okay, this is okay. our authentic self and this is a false self because everything is on a spectrum and our authenticity is going to, A, it's going to change as we grow and age and heal and have other experiences. And it's also just not something that's static. Like there, there have been studies mm-hmm. that, that say that there really is no one authentic self. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's more about being, being able to tap into the authenticity that we have, that we have access to in any given time. Right. So 
Because mm. I, I just think if if we if we set ourselves up for this is the authentic self and anything other than that is not authentic, then that's just another tool you can use to beat yourself up. I understand. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's, it's like almost like another story we tell ourselves. Like it's more, it's just more content to focus on. Exactly. Something else to think about. Think about. Mm-hmm. So, so we- what gets in the way? Yes. Um, I'd say shame is probably the number one. Problem. Could you give us an example of shame, like, and, and maybe the, the difference between like guilt and shame? Yep, yep. So the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I am bad versus shame is I or no, reverse that. Shame is I am bad versus guilt is I did something bad. And okay. the long definition via Brene Brown is it's the intensely painful feeling that we're not worthy of love and belonging. And Mm. then if you even want to pull deeper than that, because Brene Brown's work is really on the cognitive level, I've been training in a methodology called NARM, Neuroaffective Relational Model. And and they talk about shame as a psychobiological state that's a a product of attachment with our caregivers. So interesting. And this this kind of goes back to the authentic self. So in in childhood, early childhood we we're trying to figure out who we are right and sometimes we may assert mm. our authentic selves and that that assertion might be in competition with what our parents want for us so one of the simplest ways that i explain it is let's say you wanted to be a fireman when you grow up and yes. and your parents wanted you to be a doctor and you're like i'm going to be a fireman and they're like oh that's so sweet brett no you're going to be a doctor and yeah, in that yeah. moment you have a choice as a child of whether you're going to choose your authenticity or you're going to choose the attachment relationship Ooh, and right and, and what happens if we if we choose the attachment relationship we're losing connection with ourselves and that creates shame because there's this like there's this like dissonance between what is real and and what we're choosing and then conversely, if we choose our, our authenticity and stick with that, sometimes we're punished for that. If we have parents who right. aren't able to get their own needs out of the way, then we get punished for choosing our authentic self. And that creates shame as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it just reinforces why to not go with your authentic self. And we, that's so exactly. interesting. You know, exactly. I, I've talked to quite a few people recently about how like every or almost every compulsion, addiction – it all stems from childhood trauma. And I was 100%. like, yeah, oh, that's so crazy to me. I'm just learning about that. Um, anyways, and so, um, okay, so what can we take from this? What, what's like a, a first step that we could take into diving deep into our childhood trauma or asking ourselves the question of it? Well, was I attached to my caregiver? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure you've realized that if I just ask myself the question, well, was I attached to my caregiver? Hmm. It's not like the answer is going to come to you right away. Like I feel like there's more like deep mm-hmm. work. It takes time to, mm-hmm. to nurture that. So what what's the way that we could start to gain some real deep self-awareness? This is something I've been really wanting to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I would say don't don't go into this work alone because mm. it, attachment and, and shame and all that sort of stuff can be really triggering and really difficult for people to process on their own. And so having a, a therapist who can really kind of guide with that and pendulate some of the experiences. Okay. Okay. So first get a therapist. Um, secondly, so when it, when it comes to attachment, all of us have had ruptures in attachment with our caregivers because there's literally no way a parent can give you everything you need at every moment, right? It's just Fair. literally not that possible. That sounds un- unrealistic, yeah. And because of our culture, our culture, I'm, you're in, are you in Canada? Yes. 
Right. So, so America even more so, but I think Canada as well, we're really, we have this like pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort 100%. of mentality, right? That, that hyper individuality is actually really keeping us from being in connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the thought process of I'm supposed to be able to take care of myself. I shouldn't have to ask for help. Like all of that is 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 kind of underlying under the surface. Even if we're not like thinking that 24 seven, that's the that's the soup that we're all swimming in. And oh, okay. so that can create shame as well and make it difficult to even recognize and even even believe that we've ha- experienced trauma in our childhoods. But literally oh, everyone God. living in North America has experienced some sort of developmental trauma, some sort yes. of rupture and attachment. And it's all on a spectrum, right? right? People who have been sexually abused and physically abused, you know, they're on this really severe end of the spectrum. And then like I can share my experience. My parents were just extremely invalidating of the fact that, can I cuss? Yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. They were super invalidating in the fact that shit was fucked up. It was really mm. fucked up. My dad was a narcissist and kind of on the sex addict spectrum, and my mom was untreated Al-Anon. And oh, yeah. the way that affected me was I was told, like, everything's fine. But I was chronically suicidal, so things were not mm. fine. No kidding. You know? Jeez. And there were, there were so many ways that, you know, my dad used my brother and I as a trophy to really kind of show us off. And so we we learned that our worth was based on our achievements. And oh. then my, my mom with me really set it up where there was this competition between us, but I always won. So I was prettier. I was smarter. I was more talented than she was, which puts me in a really like that. Talk about that, like need to choose our own authenticity, but knowing that when I'm authentically myself, it hurts my mother. Oh, that sounds so brutal. Right? Oh my God. But I wasn't sexually abused and I wasn't physically abused, but that shit causes damage. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. No kidding. It's on a a spectrum, hey? Something I like to go back to is like the the hyper-individuality, like the I got this attitude. Yeah. That rings so true for me, like, yeah, in like in a in an unhealthy way. I think I've actually been reflecting on this a lot in the last few months, and I've realized that I'm very. Like, I even like thought about it. And I I was probably just like reconvincing myself, and maybe even lying to myself by saying, "No, like, like I'm I, I actually like, I think I'm good. Like, just like I can deal with this. I got this." But as I start to express myself more and show more vulnerability and take time to talk about things. I realize that it actually it gets out in a different way because even if I put pen to paper I don't there's there's something very different about talking to another human yeah and so yeah and so I can really see why getting a therapist is so beneficial um especially let me just interject there because it's one thing to talk to a friend or you know your partner or you know a family member uh, and it's helpful and it's wonderful. And yet sometimes our family members can really, and our family members or friends can really disappoint us because it's a two-way relationship. But in the therapy oh, relationship, it's one way. So you, if I'm your therapist, you don't owe me anything. And it's my job to check my shit at the door mm-hmm. and you get to bring in me whatever you want to. And I am just supposed to unconditionally love you. Oh, love that. And that just doesn't happen in, in regular relationships. Yeah. That's like that's a good point. I never even thought of it that way. Yeah. And, and obviously, you, you, you're qualified too. Whereas a lot of our friends give us terrible advice. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And therapy isn't about giving advice, but it's you know going back again to this idea of authentic self. 
we're really trying to hold up a mirror and show you your authentic mm. self without telling you who you are. Because then if we're telling you who you are, that just puts on you what your parents did. Yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah. The last question I want to ask about hyper-individuality, uh, just because I'm, I'm curious for myself, what are some common uh, forms of childhood trauma that cause this hyper-individuality, just so I can maybe dive deep into myself? It's less about childhood trauma and more about our cultural trauma. You know, mm, the I, I went to a training recently on anti-racism and really started to understand the connection between capitalism and white supremacy. And this may oh, sound okay. this may sound really hyperbolic to some listeners, but essentially capitalism is all about how can I make the most amount of money on free and cheap labor? And it the way that it's set up, to all of the the myths that we have about pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I should take care of myself, that only benefits the people who have money and power. It doesn't benefit those of us who don't. Like I said, it can just be used as a weapon against us. And it keeps it keeps the the people in power. And as we've seen, at least over my lifetime, we're just seeing the wealth gap increase. So we know it's really, it's working to keep people in power. But if we decide, no, I'm not going to be an individual, I'm going to be a collective in a community, Mm. we can actually empower each other to fight the system and change the system. And they don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. That's an interesting point. I I never would have seen that connection that's very interesting mm-hmm. um yeah that's so interesting that it that it stems from a cultural thing i would say even more so for men i think men yes. are pressured even more to have that pull yourself by, yes. up by your bootstraps and right. to show vulnerability like that's right. like a big no you know like mm-hmm. no way should men do that absolutely right? and so um i've even found like for myself like i'll try to talk to members in my family even women i'll talk to first of all my mom and my brother are very supportive and open and like I have an awesome support system, but I, I'll, I'll talk to some friends or some family, and I find that I've I've been starting to realize that most people are pretty closed off emotionally. Most people are pretty mm. awkward if I try to get vulnerable with them, mm. and and it, it was so surprising to me because like I I just think yeah. vulnerability is the best thing on planet Earth, and um, mm-hmm. maybe I've seen too much Brene Brown, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no no I, I think it's the best, and yeah there is that weird societal pressure. So would you say a great way to overcome that is to, because like it's much easier said than done to block out societal pressure and just say like, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. realize it, like, because it affects us subconsciously and all, and we, all this. We need to know that it's there. Okay. Like the awareness first, right? Okay, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- w- would I just like find a group of friends who enjoys being vulnerable? Like, how would I like, f- like find, like, is just putting myself yeah. in an environment to be my authentic self? Is that a, is that like the way to go or? I think when we seek out communities where people are trying to be the best version of themselves, that's where you're going to find like-minded people. So one of the places I've I've found a lot of connection like that is in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step group for people who have loved ones who have addiction. I went there Um, for the first time three weeks ago, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, good for you, though. Good for you because it's it's really, really hard to be on the receiving side of of an addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, 12 step groups are great. There's literally a 12 step group for everything. Um, I think yoga communities (laughs) are usually great. Spiritual communities, as long as it's not, you know, feeling like a cult sort of situation, (laughs) but anywhere, anywhere where people are 
intentionally trying to cultivate that that self-awareness that you're seeking those are your people intentionally trying to cultivate self-awareness i love that yeah that's amazing so i'm just writing that down yeah yeah if you ever see me look down i was just writing i see you're taking all the notes yeah uh okay so uh now i want to get into a little bit more of the the biological side so what happens in our brain during a traumatic event like say it's like a childhood event and maybe even PTSD if you can um, mm-hmm. speak on that. What happens in the moment and then what happens, what's still going on years later in our mm-hmm. brain? I actually, I don't know what happens during the event, but I can tell you kind of how things split off later. So sure. the, so if we look at the brain like this and, and my arm is the brain stem and this is the amygdala, and then this gotcha. is the prefrontal cortex, right? So the three parts of the brain, we call it the triune brain. Okay. And the the brain stem is most responsible for um, like rest and digest and all of the bodily functions. So, you know, like our heart beating and our blood pumping, all, all of that stuff kind of lives here. And gotcha. this makes up, I think, I believe it's 60% of our brain's function happens from here. And in then the, in the cerebellum was that in the it's the brainstem. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then the amygdala is let's see, sixty thirty. Yes, thirty percent is the amygdala. Like essentially, this is like the power of it, right? So sixty percent, thirty percent, and the amygdala is where like fight and flight happens, and um, emotions and trauma and triggers for addiction. So anytime, let's say, let's say somebody, um, you know, like your friend really betrays you and you just want to lash out, right? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like, that's an amygdala based reaction. Cause it's coming from this like emotional place. Whereas the prefrontal cortex is only 10% of our brain, but this is where all the logic and reasoning happens. Right, right. So one of the things that we see addiction is my specialty. So I'll just use this as, as Please, an example, yeah. but trauma is the same. So essentially what happens when somebody is, is triggered to use is the prefrontal cortex goes offline and the amygdala and the brainstem are making the decisions. And mm-hmm. it takes a while for the prefrontal cortex to come back online. And one of the things that we try to do with clients is get them to cultivate mindfulness so that they have more access to yes, the prefrontal cortex. That's interesting. So, so yeah. how I, I I can understand it like enough why the amygdala would just completely take over. Is it because is the amygdala more powerful? Like like you said, mm-hmm. like they're sixty percent, thirty percent, like yeah. ten to twenty percent. It's so more it have... powerful because evolutionarily it's older. Interesting. Okay, that I didn't know. And it develops first. So the 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 brainstem develops, and then the amygdala, and then the prefrontal cortex is the last piece to develop. And if you think about evolutionarily humans have haven't been around as long as other animals um like reptiles reptiles have just like a little baby prefrontal cortex um so it's 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 evolutionary in terms of our history and the way that we develop as a fetus the prefrontal cortex comes last okay gotcha. and the left side of the prefrontal cortex comes last which the left side is all is logic and the right side is more like creative Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that that was a connection there. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of us listening right now. And I know I am just like wanting to know so badly how we can give our prefrontal cortex more power and cultivate that mindfulness to overcome the amygdala, to overcome the compulsion. Because I've been very, oh, I've been pers- like really, really focusing on this lately. 
anytime I feel some sort of addictive tendency or some sort of compulsion or some sort of even just an egoic thought that really just wants to take over like an emotional trigger from someone like a family member says, mm-hmm. um, it is very tough to mm-hmm. not let that take, like not let that thought take over. Even like mm-hmm. I'm and like, I meditate like quite a bit, like 45 minutes to an hour a day, mm-hmm. practice mindfulness all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, even though I do that, it's very tough. So I'm thinking for someone who doesn't even know what mindfulness means or what it is or practices it, they, it must be very tough for them to have success in their life if their emotions consistently take take control of them. So mm-hmm. um, how is it that we can build up that that connection with our prefrontal cortex and have access to it more often? Well, I want to I wanna shift the language a little bit that you used because you used please. the word overcome. And I don't, oh, I don't mm-hmm. want to set it up like we're fighting with ourselves. More, more like a work with it, work with it vibe, Ex- right? 100%. Yes, exactly. So it's, you know, how, how can we, of course, we want to strengthen that connection between the amygdala and prefrontal cortex so that we have access, like you said, yes. to choices, right? Because if I'm just reacting and there's no space, there's, there's no choice. Um, Meditation truly is the best way to create that strength. And I'll say for your listeners, because I think people in the West especially have a really misconstrued idea of what meditation is. Meditation is not clearing your mind. Meditation is, and you probably know this from practicing, it's just it's just bringing your mind back to an anchor whenever it wanders. And the anchor can be your breath. It can be a mantra. You can be listening to a guided meditation. You can be walking and just intentionally looking at things. Mm-hmm. That's the anchor. And, and all you know, our brains will wander. Our minds will wander. And so the bringing it back, that's essentially like the muscle reps that you're doing that's going to create that strength. Ah, love that. I yeah. love that analogy. That's very cool. I'll have to I'll have to give that a try. Um, like some more practicing more non-judgmental observation of objects. Yes, Just being yes. Very curious of it. That's one of my favorites, especially in nature. Yeah, because it's this is how humans are. <laughs> the reason <laughs> I resonate with Buddhism so well is because it literally just explains how we are. There's a mm. book called Why Buddhism is True, <laughs> and that's exactly what it says too. Because title. it's just. If we're trying, if we're trying to overcome and we're trying to win against our system that was so beautifully designed, we're going to lose and then again, use it as a way to just beat ourselves up. No kidding. Oh my, I've definitely been down that rabbit hole for Uh, sure. Same, same. Yeah. Oh, it's such a vicious cycle. And, and, but then on the, on the flip side, I, I think it's important to mention that as, as we start to get better at this, it actually gets easier and easier and easier. Yes. So just as it's a vicious cycle negatively, it's also, yes. when you get into the positive side, it's also like a beautiful cycle. You're like, yes, this is way easier than last time or right. than three months ago. So um, having the, I think cultivating the faith that yes. doing the work is going to benefit you in the end is so important. I think that's why I, I think I've been very drawn to spirituality because it's, mm so great at giving us that faith and it makes things so much mm-hmm. easier so mm-hmm. actually this is a question i wasn't planning on asking but um what what uh power do you think spirituality has in say healing addiction and things of that nature and but here's the real question do you think it's a necessity like do you think that like i think it's a must for people to have because for me i see no downside to living a spiritual mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. that's yes. a really great question so i guess first uh, research studies have have shown specifically with addiction that people who consider themselves religious tend to have better outcomes. 
I see. And I think it's because exactly what you're talking about is this this cultivation of faith and trusting in either the program or the process or whatever it is that's going to yeah. help get better. Mm -hmm. Um I definitely separate religion and spirituality for me myself. Me too. Oh, big time. Big time for me too. Yeah. Right, right. So Sorry, they're doing work on the house next door. Um, so so I just want to say that the research was done on people who consider themselves religious, but I, I think that often spirituality is, is, it functions in the same way, right? It's just a belief system that you have. Um, I do think spirituality is necessary to really connecting with our whole self mm -hmm. because part of our whole self is our connection with everything, Right. And if I have cultivated a spiritual understanding, then I believe in something greater than myself. And I believe that we're interconnected and that it only creates more positive outcomes. The people that I see in my practice and I've seen over the years who struggle with the sense of a higher power, they, they often struggle more in recovery um, because they don't believe that something has their back. And you know, we are so, when I said before that the prefrontal cortex is like 10% of our brain functioning, mm -hmm. if you're relying on that, which that is what's responsible for science, right? If you're relying yeah. on the smallest part of your brain to have all of the answers, that just, it literally does not make sense to me. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> right? Yeah. Science seems to be the 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 tone of truth these days. Um, right. But... And Kay, actually, that actually is a great leeway into my next question here, which is about uh, the relationship between the heart, heart and brain, the mm -hmm. the coherence that we can have between our heart and our brain. And mm -hmm. um, there is when when was the discovery of the the heart brain connection? Or no, the the heart brain. When was that discovery made? In like twenty like two thousand eight or something like that. I don't know. I don't know specifically about the heart brain. Like I I don't know about that, but I do know that they say that. Um, our, our, there's a brain in our head, there's a brain in our heart and there's a brain in our gut mm. and really being able to connect all of those. Cause the heart is the feelings and then the gut being the intuition and truly having a connection between all three of those to make decisions instead of just making it logically or just making it emotionally or just making it intuitively. Oh yeah. So, okay. I would love to know then how, what's, what's a way, say we have a decision to make, how do we how do like, is there a decision making process to go through? I think even almost asking that question is like overthinking it too mm -hmm. much, you know? So like, I, I don't even want to necessarily get into it. Cause I feel like I know so many people that like, they'll, they'll come to me with so much stress and anxiety about yeah. a, a decision. Even like, I even think like, should I go to university or not? I even think that's not worth stressing about. And I know that's like not fair to say because it's very real mm -hmm. for those who get stressed mm -hmm. about it. But mm -hmm. for me, like there's almost nothing that, um, Funny enough, I lived with monks a few months ago, and the wow. biggest lesson I came out with, it was amazing. The biggest lesson I came out with was that literally, like, nothing matters. And yes. so, like, yes, all my, yeah, it's like nothing matters. It's, it, everything's like laughable, basically. And because so, when uh, you let go of what you yeah. think matters, what really actually matters comes to the forefront. It's this paradoxical yeah. understanding, but you, yeah, you said it beautifully. Nothing matters. Um, yeah. And anyways, and so once I realized that, once I realized that I I couldn't make a mistake, then all exactly. the anxiety, all the mm -hmm. anxiety just floats away. And so um, I would love to help people get that feeling because I know anxiety is like a 
unbelievably common cause of uh, mm-hmm. suffering for a lot of people, especially listening to this podcast. I'm sure there's at least a few of us. Um, so what is a way that we can, and I, again, I think this comes back to faith, but how do we cultivate this faith in, in letting go in that we can't make a mistake? How can we cultivate that? Do you think? I, I, you know, what's coming to me right now, again, is, is connection because mm. I think especially like the age group that you're referencing with your podcast, I think there is a lack of understanding. And I don't mean this in a, in a derogative or pejorative sort of way, but there's a lack of understanding of the bigger picture. You know, I'm, I'm 41 now. And, and the shift that has happened between my early twenties and my forties is exponential. And the most important piece is I know, I just know more about what other people are going through. Like Mm. as a therapist, I have heard everything and you know what? It really doesn't matter what the individual stories are. The underlying themes are all the same and it's fear, it's shame, it's disconnection. That's it. So all of the stuff, you know, I think we, when we cling to our individual suffering and our anxieties and all those sorts of things, we're keeping our, we're keeping our vision very narrow and we're also really personalizing it and making it individual where if we're able to kind of shift and recognize this is part of the human experience. And like you said, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, of course, of course our lives matter. They matter and they don't at the same time. It's a, it's a funny paradox. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So if I'm clinging to this outcome, cause I think for, for your age group, the pressure on you right now to decide what school to go to, decide what to do with the rest of your life, that, that feels really real because you feel like you can make the wrong decision and then your life is ruined. But I can tell you after seeing I don't know how many hundreds of, of clients I've treated with addiction who yeah. took a non-traditional route to like finding their authentic selves. Most of my clients will tell you that they're actually happy that they, they're they an addict or alcoholic because of all that they learned about themselves oh, and yeah, the world sure. in that process to find who they truly are. I literally just oh, had that conversation with a friend right before you called. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. as you, yeah, like what I just want to say this one more time. All my anxiety floated away beautifully mm-hmm. when I realized that nothing yeah. matters and that I can't make a mistake. I can't exactly all of my decisions now. It's like, what's the worst that could happen, really? Yes, you know, like come on, what's the worst? Yes, that could happen? and and, and the fun. worst that could happen is pain, right? We could we can experience pain for making what yes. we are perceiving is the wrong decision but we also know if we like are looking at the bigger picture that the wrong decision actually is opening the right door oh, in some other that. in some other place and time mm. and also like what's the alternative are you just gonna like curl up and not make decisions not right. follow your heart that doesn't seem like a long-term strategy that's gonna help you so right yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally on the same page with you on this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of um, following our intuition and kind of in this whole conversation, I am so curious as to how we can cultivate more of an awareness of ourselves. This is something I'm monomaniacally focusing on right now. And I'm not 100% sure how to do it, but I've heard recently from a couple other people that I've interviewed that uh, trusting our positive emotions, like what, when am I happiest throughout the day and what am I doing? Like, that's like a good kind of easy way to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just love to know if there's like some sort of true North we can follow that can 
help us become more aware of what we actually like so we then we can just do what we like for a whole mm-hmm. life basically mm. and that's it's so interesting that you say that because that's so anti-capitalistic to just mm. do what you want for a living right yeah that's like, crazy enjoy your work <laughs> yeah right but because of the crisis that we're in right now that like your age group is probably going to be adamant about doing that right like Long, long gone are the days of people working in a company for, you know, 40 years for a pension. That's just that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, You know, I think I think openness and curiosity are probably what I would say are the biggest factors because. Interesting. Okay. Exploration. You should just explore everything. Right. I love that. And if you're curious, like a lot of people, I think, can shut down a certain exploration because they're like, well, like, let's just say music, like, well, I'm not talented musically, so I'm, I'm just not going to investigate that. Um, but what if you're actually good at something? Just listening to, I think podcasts are the best thing that ever happened in the universe oh, because we yeah. literally have <laughs> access to all of the information. Yeah. Yeah. And so just, just discovering more podcasts and listening to other people talk about things that they like I don't think there is a true north because we should have a lot of interests and we should be able to explore whatever the fuck we want, right? So that. just, I don't know, just just explore. Don't, I think making it a, I have to figure out what I want to do with my life puts yeah. so much pressure on that decision, again, which creates the anxiety. Oh, so yeah. just go on the journey, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And I'm going to give myself a bit of a humble brag here. Um my my Instagram bio is in exploration oh, because that's, awesome. that's totally what I'm like. I'm interested. In. It just makes so much sense. And I love the openness and the curiosity. It just that that really resonates with me. And mm-hmm. and um something else too. And to your point, when you said that when we get anxious, we narrow in our focus on something yes. mm-hmm. or any of these stre- negative stressful emotions. But when we open ourselves mm-hmm. up and we have positive emotions because we're feeling coherent inside, now we can actually explore the unlimited infinite possibilities that that are before us and we don't feel mm-hmm. like we have to do this one specific pass like i gotta right. be a doctor i gotta do this i gotta right. do this and um that really helps with um with letting go because then you you are you accept what comes you're open you're right. curious as to what's going to come and mm-hmm. yeah so i i find that um there's it's more than just not being anxious not feeling good in the moment i think it goes a lot deeper than that that yeah. um it actually helps us find that true north or I think even just not being anxious is a true north because then we're open to anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right. The absence of pressure is probably the true north. Oh, I love that. Right. I love that. You know what's so funny? I find like, and I guess if you're in a Buddhism, I'm sure you've heard this. It always seems to be about stripping things away, taking away the pressure, yeah. removing, yeah. not adding, not adding. We're already perfect, but it's about removing yes. things, removing these blocks. Yes. Yeah, that's so funny. And I want to just add a little tag onto what you said, sure, because sure. I, I'm imagining some of your listeners might think like, well, but I need money. I don't have time to just oh, explore totally. freely. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing this up. We still have time to explore. We may just not be able to do it in, in the expansive free way that we want to, if we have to still work, 100%. right. And yeah. take care of things. But, you know, there my hope, my hope for everybody listening is that you can find something that you at least don't hate where you have the energy and the rest of your life to explore everything that you love. I love that. I love that so much. 
Yeah, I think that's a very important point to bring up because it's it's very easy to turn this conversation into more of a fluffy conversation where it's exactly. like just follow your heart, man. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even even though I would say like I'm a good like sixty to seventy percent hippie inside of me, I still have like the thirty percent, sixty, forty percent business side of me too. Yeah, like, there's like you got to take care of that too, right? So yeah. uh, you still got bills to pay. hundred <laughs> uh, percent, we all do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, I feel that. And I I made a promise to myself just so everybody knows. It was about five months ago. I asked myself a very important question. It was, what would I do? What would I actually do if I had a hundred million dollars in the bank? Mm. And I and I've just been asking myself that question ever since. Mm. But to go into what we're talking about here, I made a promise to myself that I would never make a decision based off money again, mm. past past my basic expenses. But yeah. I but but listen up, right. everyone. I do mean basic, like you right. know what I mean. Like Starbucks that's not counting important. on there. <laughs> right, yeah. right like rent and basic food right mm-hmm. uh, yes 100 percent. i think that's important uh, yeah good for you um i'm going way too hard on these humble brags here i gotta stop talking about myself so much well but i i also think when it's coming from a place of connection because that's what i hear you saying right yeah. you are okay. we're talking about something and you're like hey i resonate with this you're connecting with it that's not bragging that's just that's just relationship. You know, it's oh. not like you're just like posting, the, oh, look how great I am on Instagram. That's when yeah. shit is ego. But when right. it's based on, I'm just, I'm just one human connecting to another human's experience. I don't think that's so bad. Okay. I appreciate that. And I think, I think you're right. Cause I, I've been one to post on Instagram just to be like, Hey, look at me. So I, I know the difference. So, right. Same. <laughs> yeah, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I have another very important question to ask. So we, we want to get more logical, more objective, and not get consumed by our emotions because I mean, we tend not to make the best decisions when we're 100% emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's a way that we could begin to act as an objective observer that, you know, the, the bird in mm-hmm. the tree watching the other bird eat the fruit kind of thing? Yeah. Well, meditation is the easiest mm-hmm. way to cultivate that. Stillness, you mean? Stillness. Um, and then instituting a pause, I think you know, I see so many of my clients and loved ones, you know, as soon as you get the text, you fire a text back, right? If you recognize, if you've cultivated the awareness where you recognize like, hey, there's been an emotional trigger happening here and I stop for a second and wait until I, I actually feel like my prefrontal cortex is engaged and is online and respond it's probably going to work out better. Like I literally had this issue with my brother last night. We were getting into a fight and I really didn't understand why. And and there was a moment where I had a choice to be defensive and yeah. be shitty truthfully yeah. or I was going to ask for more clarification and I just I sat with it for a minute and it luckily thank thanks to my meditation and and my my therapy practices that I have this access, but pretty quickly it came like, no, I'm going to choose. I want connection. I don't want to be shitty. I don't want to be defensive. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to ask for more clarification and say, how can I understand you better? And it, it might sound like that's impossible right now, but if you, if you institute that pause, at first the pause is going to be really long and it might be like overnight <laughs> yeah. and you may want to say to your friend or whoever it is, like, right. let me get back to you. I'm struggling with something right now. Let me get back uh, to you. Yeah. Um, but over time, it'll just be shorter and shorter and shorter. Oh, I love that. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Good for you. That's a, that's tough. <laughs> it, oh my God. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really is. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to get better at that. So to get better at that, we would, we would just keep doing the work, keep meditating, practicing silence, practicing stillness, yeah. and the gaps tend to just increase, right, between thought and no thought. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cool. I got you. Um, it, a quick question. Isn't it true that bio, or physiologically in our brain, an, an emotion only lasts 90 seconds? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, when I heard that, I was so surprised. Yeah. 90 seconds, people. And then after that, it's about the story we choose to tell ourselves. Exactly. So Pema Children has a new book. Um, oh, what's it called? I can't remember. I cannot remember what it's called, but Google it and put it in your show notes. Pema Children. She's a Buddhist nun and she's written a lot of books on essentially sitting sitting with difficulty in life. And she literally said exactly that, that, that when, when you sit with the pain of whatever emotion is coming up, I think I think in her book one of the one of the I don't remember who she quoted but whoever she quoted said that 3 minutes is literally the max of time that you could experience that emotion and we just we tend to kind of like ah, like we can't we can't sit with it <laughs> but when you actually sit with like what's physiologically happening right so yeah. if you experience like heart rate right what is physiologically happening there is a sensation of the heart hurting right yeah. And when you just focus in on that sensation, it's so different than focusing on, oh, well, this person dumped me and why don't they love me and I'll never be in a relationship and all that sort of stuff. That stuff is what spins us out of control and then mm. leads to a potential negative reaction that's going to hurt us. Whereas if we just sit with the pain and then practice compassion oh. for that pain, like mm-hmm. being okay. a human is fucking hard, man. Like, <laughs> I want to be a dog in the next lifetime because this shit is tough and I don't want to do it again anytime soon, yeah. right? And so let's be compassionate for that experience instead of, again, pressuring and judging ourselves to be different. Oh, my gosh. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful um, and tough to do. I mean, so like, tough. like to sit with that pain and, to, and so then not only to sit with it, to have the courage to do that, but then to feel compassion towards that pain. Yeah. My God. So, um, and like, I'm talking from experience here, people like I've tried it. It is so hard and I am nowhere near a master at it. Like I got a lot of work to do. So how, well, how can we get better at this? How can, like, is it just repetition? How can we finally feel that compassion for our pain? Well, I would, what I've done and what I suggest to my clients is creating some sort of daily practice where, you every day you're going to sit with whatever is coming up for you, right? And and if we're practicing with smaller issues, then it's going to be more accessible when it comes to like actual like real life pain that's happening. Yeah. So you know, some sometimes I if I have a thought coming up that is creating pain, what I really want to do is like stop thinking about it, right? So right. so right. instead of stopping thinking about it, I've been trying to again, invite this reflection on what is physio- physiologically happening when I experience this. And, and and kind of like if I close my eyes and let's say it's my heart space where something is happening, I, I essentially like have my inner gaze focused on my heart. And I just I just try to see what happens when I do that. And And sometimes it's painful and sometimes I can't locate the feeling and sometimes 
I just can't tolerate it. And I start to cry and then I just move on, <laughs> you yeah, know, so, yeah. but it is, it really is, we have to be practicing these things. I mm -hmm. think generally, again, this is kind of back to our cultural expectation of we should just know how to deal with problems. We should just know how to be human. Right, we right. fucking know. Yeah. We have to learn. <laughs> yeah. Learn how to do that because all of the, all of the things that we naturally go to are avoiding pain instead of mm -hmm. sitting with it. Right. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. There was um, a great recommendation I received yesterday, maybe two days ago, that is ex uh, part of exactly what you just said. I got it from a psychologist, and she said um, a way to reflect is to write down all the emotions you had throughout the day and not labeling them negative or positive. Right. Mm -hmm. and, then, and, then and then if you're so compelled to at the time processing them. So doing yeah. what you're saying, which is just feeling them and seeing if you can locate it without yeah. any expectation, without, right. you know, just, just, just to feel, just to, just to be mm -hmm. for a few minutes, you know, and yeah. wow, like, I think we, like you, like you mentioned before, I've never heard it said like that, but when, when we get to te the text, we fire one right back Yeah. and we just, we go from thing to thing to thing and just to take some time to be and to process mm -hmm. is, um, it's just it just seems to be like uh the the best way the best way or at least a way that we can get in tune with mm -hmm. who we are and yeah. i'll i'll say too cuz you asked about specifically practicing self compassion yeah yeah and i'll say that for those of us who struggle with chronic shame which if you're a perfectionist you struggle with chronic shame <laughs> um and if you're a person who is high achieving or or has a lot of drive that's 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 fueled by shame mm. and it can like self-compassion can be really almost impossible to tolerate. Um, in, in the NARM therapy that I've been trained in, I'm receiving it as well. And just as self-compassion starts to arise, the judging and the shame comes right in at the same time. And, and what the invitation is in NARM is just to notice that that is happening instead of, trying to make one or the other happen, just recognizing that both are there and that the shame was a survival strategy to help me survive my childhood. There's a reason why it's there. And so instead of trying to cut it out and trying to pretend that it's not there or overcome it, as we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, it's just recognizing and saying, oh, hey, buddy, there you are again. I've got self-compassion right here. <laughs> both hanging out. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I really hope that that got through to somebody really badly. Yeah. Um, anyways, I want to be respectful of your time because I know I only have so much. So I'll ask you one last question here. Sure. Um, what can we do today, tonight, whenever we're listening to this to begin to uh, heal any sort of tug, any sort of incoherence we have between our heart and our head? Mm -hmm. What's something we can do to start this process of just feeling good? Because that's really what we all want, right? Well, you're not going to like this answer, but essentially oh, no. the, the, the point of life is not to feel good. Oh, really? Yeah. What's the I point? I mean, oh, no. <laughs> I think the point is connection and connection makes us feel oh, okay. good, right? Connection okay. with ourselves and connection with others. So if feeling good is the goal, sometimes we're going to be shit out of luck. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. So what can you do to your, for yourself today for this, you know, connection? I would say, I would say, again, 
asking or inviting, (laughs) inviting yourself to soften the goal of, you know, feeling good or being okay. And, um, what else was I going to say with that connection, making a decision that you're worth it. So I think that because we are in such a, a left brain prefrontal cortex society, the, the first place that we do need to intervene is, is in our head and say, all right, I believe I'm going, I'm going to go on this journey of trying to cultivate acceptance for myself because I've decided I'm worth it. Cause I think the decision comes before the feeling. And a lot of times people are like, well, I can't, you know, sure. I, I know I'm a good person, but I don't feel like a good person. But the decision point of I'm going to, I'm going to practice something in order to try to feel like a good person. I think that's probably the first step. Mm. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really hope that that, that that really gets through to somebody. Yeah. That, yeah. There's just a lot of us that are going through stuff. and. Oh, my I mean, God. That, it, yeah. It, yeah. It'd be just super nice to know that we have the tools to – attack mm-hmm. to, to you know remove those blocks and all that so um so- anyways, i'd say soften not remove because they're always going to be there soften okay i'm gonna write that down actually i like that, that yeah word. soften yeah i always soften like to think block. about softening or inviting instead soften. of removing or changing or you know it's not as harsh it's yeah it's easygoing and oh yeah it's less judgmental and less oh yeah less okay. outcome driven hmm because if we're changing that language, we have more capacity to actually act that compassionately. I see. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Wow. I, I wrote so many notes today. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I really appreciate you you sharing what you know with us because, yeah. uh, wow, I, I really think that I definitely got a lot of it today and I really hope the listeners did as well. Me too. Um, I think this is a great point to end off on. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. You too. So there you guys have it. There is the episode. I thought it was tremendously well done by her. I think she was so uh, open and patient with me as I go off on these crazy tangents and talk out of my ass when I don't really know what I'm talking about. She was very patient with me and taught me a lot. And I really hope that 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 caring, fun-loving attitude got through to you guys as well. Uh, my favorite nugget from there, I would have to say still, is to soften the blocks, not to remove them. And then, uh, to, as one of my other favorite sayings goes, we can maybe catch a glimpse of who we are once we lose a touch of our self-importance. So I think that it will just help us get closer to the revealing of who we are, even if we never get there. So that was my biggest takeaway. Anyways, thank you guys so much for watching. I really hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did because, oh my God, I got some reflecting to do now. I know exactly how deep I got to go. So, um, yeah, anyways, guys, thanks so much for watching. I appreciate you as always. See you next time.